Hi there, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we will be speaking with Aruba Ahmed in New York. As you know, we talk about sustainability, we talk about wellness, responsible travel, we touch on organizations and people that are doing the right thing. Sometimes, however, uh, people and organizations do not do the right thing. They pretend to do so for their own benefit, for their investors, for their own back pocket, but certainly not uh, for the communities of the areas they operate in. So Aruba wrote what I believe is a great article about exactly that. And she wrote that in the Journal of Sustainable Development, State of the Planet at the Columbia Earth Institute. So I thought it was fantastic to have on the podcast. Um, you can make up your own mind with regards to the article. If you would like to support the podcast, please do so and go to our website. That's podcasts.earth. And without further ado, here's the podcast with Aruba Ahmed. So um, here today on the show with me is Aruba, Aruba Ahmed. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yes, you did. Thank you so much. Brilliant. And I have Aruba uh, on the show because I read an article um, how ecotourism can harm uh, indigenous communities. Now, um, first of all, I believe you're a schooler at Columbia University. That's in New York. I'm obviously myself in London. And... Um, The article was published last week uh, on June the 2nd, and that was published in the Journal of Sustainable Development, um, State of the Planet, um, for the Columbia Earth Institute, which is the uh, research institute at Columbia University. And its mission is to address complex issues facing the planet and its inhabitants, and the focus is on sustainable development. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So what, 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 what's it like at the moment in New York? Because you have been very hard hit as well by the coronavirus, eh? Uh, yes. Um, I think believe, I believe that we are heading into phase three now, which is uh, some of the commercial stores are starting to open up again, but mm -hmm. we still have to follow pretty strict social distancing measures as, you know, yeah. the, we were hit pretty hard in the city. Yeah. No, absolutely. So um, the article, um, how ecotourism can harm indigenous communities, I obviously, I really liked it um, for two reasons. First of all, um, I've been to, the, to, to one of the regions that you mentioned in Kenya, Masamari, and I've seen with my own eyes the villages, uh, the um, tourist villages, which is just like a tourist trap. And I don't really think there's much going back to the communities there. But what is what is the background for the article? Why did you write it? Yes, of course. So this topic actually arose back in December um, when I was still uh, in the, during like school because winter break, I guess, is the best time for college for college students and their families to start traveling. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to friends who want to go on these some more sustainable tours, and I guess the first thing that came to mind was, well, if they're going to these ecologically stressed places, let's mm -hmm. say Argentina, like what are the actual effects that no one's really talking about? Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes that makes total sense. And and um, did, did did you go to Argentina or Kenya um, yourself to check it out, or have you have you been, or is you are you planning to go, or how how do we see that? Well, after reading about all these effects on the indigenous communities, I don't know if I want to go on these eco tours myself, but uh -huh. I definitely would. Um, try, want to go one day to see if I can make a difference there, maybe through an NGO, something that I could do to volunteer my time to help. But as of now, I have actually not been personally. It makes sense to me. So obviously, there's, there's a lot of talk about you know ecotourism at the moment. It's almost like a buzzword, and a lot of people are actually putting that into their into their plans to attract a certain 
type of traveler, this is not a good thing, correct? Um, what you're saying is really, you may want to consider uh, how ecotourism actually impacts the local communities um, where these tours take place. And um, wh wh why do you think that you said you read some articles? What is your reasoning behind this, if I may ask? my reasoning behind why I said that yeah. uh, that statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, basically, so I did a bit of literature review and to summarize a few studies, um, like Corey at all 2011 and Baker at all 2018, I realized that alongside the serious hazards to wildlife, it's actually been demonstrated by many instances in the past. Mm -hmm. Then practice ecotourism has often failed to deliver the expected benefits to indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And it really has to do with the distribution of revenue by companies because of vague rules on how ecotourism has to be conducted. Companies can actually bypass communication with the local peoples and instead focus on making profit and keep all the benefits to themselves. Yeah. And it's really prevalent in Southern and Eastern Africa, Latin America and Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. because there are very few ecotourism projects managed by indigenous communities since the governmental policies in that region support mass tourism and research usage rather than ecotourism projects or indigenous rice. Okay, that makes sense as well. And in in your article, um, you give the definition of ecotourism um, by the uh, IUCN. Um, I did an interview actually with uh, the former president of the IUCN, uh, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature. Basically, they define um, this as uh, environmentally responsible travel that prioritizes conservation, leaves low visitor impacts and allows for uh, socioeconomic involvement of all the local people. Um, and then you give some pros and some cons. And um, you say the pros can be uh, financial supporting the local people. Um, you yourself become more culturally aware. Um, and then you say that now you actually say now that the, the money does not is not distributed by the tour operators back to local communities, correct? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, it's actually the opposite. So the local people do not benefit from this at all. And uh, they create uh, also create a, a culture that uh, fetishizes them. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I guess... Um, so I was reading a paper, um, I do extensive literature review for this because this is a topic that actually isn't really talked about in like mainstream uh -huh. articles. Yep. So one of this, one of these papers I was reading about, they talked about how ecotourism can also negatively impact indigenous livelihood. And they stated pretty well that since ecotourism requires that indigenous communities adapt themselves to a different a uh, regime of wildlife exploitation it like imposes a view mm -hmm. on the indigenous night um indigenous life that's not necessarily in agreement with the real livelihoods of the indigenous communities right and i guess i really thought about this a lot after reading michelle de montaigne's essays which okay. is on cannibals yeah and it talks about the native people which montaigne describes are so pure and natural <clears throat> in comparison to the Europeans, he described. And after reading this, I found extreme parallels to the tourism industry. And I realized that the views that we are imposing on them are necess not necessarily their own, but an idealized natural version of them that we want to see. Right. And that's where the world, the word fetishization, fetishizing Absolutely. So what you're saying is that we have an idea of what these, um, what these indigenous people, these local tribes look like, and that is what they're giving us, except that that is not really what it looks like anymore. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're using that in order to create this kind of natural version. And it's like, and it's using, it's, it's like, so we're so obsessed with all things natural to the point that we would want to change an entire, how an entire community looks to achieve it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you think these communities are held back that way or? 
I suppose, because they are also um, restricted by the, the, um, the financial burdens, because actually uh, a lot of times, so, like these ecotourism communities had actually handed over land to investors for like exclusive use. Yep. So the largely, these la- largely pastoral people agreed not to like graze flocks of huge livestock and investors don't pay for land at all. And they draft agreements that are basically locking them into these agreements and they can no longer do anything to get out of them regardless of legal action. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're basically there's contracts being signed by someone. Is that, that being signed by the local communities themselves or by the governments or what do you think? Yeah, so there's actually been, I believe in uh, Kenya, actually, mm-hmm. their acts of omission and commission were done by lawyers as well as representatives of respected environmental organizations, uh-huh. UN bodies, wildlife conservation organizations, and even national wildlife management corporations. Yeah. So these legal agreements co- like are taken part by many different people. Right, fair, fair enough. And it turns out to be, um, do they know that what they're signing when they're signing this? Or what do you think? I don't believe that they know because a lot of times they actually come back and they ask, like, we want to get out of this agreement once they realize what these, uh, what the actual agreement says. And after these landowners start to make use of their land, but because they were so legally bound, they can't do anything about it. Fair enough. Um, Then you say as well that, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of vacations are classified as ecotours, but um, there's no, international regulation um, for that. There's no specific guidelines for that, even though you just mentioned contracts signed by um, world wildlife organizations and by the UN. But still, there's no, no no guidelines. You think that's the problem, that there's no specific guidelines for these ecotours? I do believe that this is the greatest mechanical drawback of implementing an ecotour at this time, mm-hmm. because a lot of studies have actually noted that ecotourism has the potential to solve so many problems that regular tourism causes, but only if effective management is practiced. And this doesn't happen because there are no standardized rules about the tour. So companies are free to do whatever they want, as long as it looks sustainable to the eye. Mm -hmm. And how how can it be solved, you reckon? So I suppose some fundamental conditions must be met. Mm -hmm. So I guess the economic benefits must be accessible to the target population of the communities. And they need definitely need secure holdings over the land in which the ecotourism takes place. And what body do you think should really take care of this? The government, local government or an international body, United Nations? What do you think? My idea would be that each country should agree on a similar set of laws to enforce since there's no international organization with jurisdiction over the actions of each specific country. Mm-hmm. And I guess that as as you go more local, those laws should be able to be in, uh, enforced more strictly. Makes sense uh, as well. But obviously, if, if there has to be like a similar set of, of, um, of guidelines for each country, then those guidelines have to come from somewhere so if you're thinking about an international body what what in the, what, what comes to mind what do you think might be best well currently the un has been involved in these ecotours um as i said earlier with the um the, the people that are involved in those um agreements creating those legal agreements so i suppose that Perhaps if the UN were able to output something like some kind of like overall more, first of all, I believe that a stricter definition of an ecotour would be best mm-hmm. because then right away from off the bat, there would be a lot of the, that'd be able to eliminate a lot of these supposed quote unquote ecotours that claim to be sustainable. So that I guess would be the best first action to do. Mm. Um, okay. 
pretty much we've we've had this question already but um what 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 they present to the to the to the tourist is an image of the um, indigenous communities that uh, that that we think that we want to see is almost like biased i suppose um it, but it's not really the fact of what what the uh, communities now look like and i've been to uh, Kenya. Um, I've been to the Masamara. I did some volunteering there, and I saw the villages where tourists go. And uh, as soon as they come, they, you know, it's almost like an act they have. They start dancing and everything. It's it's a real tourist trap. But as you say, um, it doesn't come back to the people at all. Um, how you how do you think that can be solved in in a place like that, where in the Masamara most of the tour organizations um have their place already for a long long time because i was there like 25 years ago i think and uh, so that's something that might be very hard to break or what do you think right so i actually was very much pondering upon this and i think this really stems from us because we have these types of prejudices and biases so I guess to, in order to break the cycle of this like sort of abuse of the local community, um, we should start with changing our views. We cannot accept this portrait that's painted by the ecotourism companies of what Native people look like. And I guess it would start with also educating ourselves before blindly submitting to this propaganda mm-hmm. so we can for, force companies to confer with the local communities on what actually goes into the ecotour. That, okay, that, that's, that, that is also um, very clear indeed. Um, do you think that the communities really don't, do not receive any benefit whatsoever um, from, from the industry? Or you think it's very little? Or you think that the companies that are there take most of the revenue and just choose not to give back? Or how do you feel about this? Right. So I, I don't think that every single ecotourism company is b- blindly abusing their indigenous community, the indigenous community. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a that would be a huge overstatement. But I do believe that the majority of the industry is to some extent manipulating the indigenous, the indigenous communities, although some um, some communities may receive less, uh, uh, like more benefit. Most of them, such as um, even in China, and the majority of the economic benefits in the eco- key or ecotourism sectors go mm-hmm. to stakeholders outside the local community. Yeah, even outside the country, I have the feeling somehow. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely right. So you mentioned um, in your article um, Rob Nixon, and um, well, uh, he mentioned quite a few things. Uh, is that one of the uh, one of the uh, references that you refer to, or? Yes, I did. I read his book, um, The Loso Violence and the Environmentalism of the Poor. Mm-hmm. And he really goes into depth on the issue. And co- he commented specifically on game lodges, which yep. are mainly West- where mainly Western tourists came to stay during the tours. Yep. And he argued that these spaces created an environment that is detached from the rest of the world um, because it denied the existence of the modernity in the, these communities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what he says as well, that's the, the worst part is that um, they, they're advertised as being good for the communities, but actually not. And, um, exactly. Yeah, and also they have no uh, influence at all in the creation of these tours as well. Is that something that you would like to comment on? Yes, definitely. So a lot of times when these like, um, so when they are bought into these legal bindings, mm-hmm. they really don't have a say in what, but they just simply sign a piece of paper and then the land is the investors. So if it were to be, if I, my ideal ecotour would be 
created by and for the indigenous, uh, created by the indigenous community, because Mm -hmm. I guess that's where the source, their culture, their language, that is not really easily replicated by someone who has not been, has not experienced that. So I think that if they were to play a role in the creation, it would have a drastically different outlook, a different uh, look if they were to. Yeah, no, no, of course, of course. I actually did an interview with um, a a gentleman in in India uh, from Goat Village and those uh, were set up from from within the community. And he won also won the prize at the World Travel Market uh, last year. Um, for sustainable, uh, sustainable um, eco uh, tourism at at that point. So that's that that is fantastic. I also did an interview with the government of Guyana, and I would like to have your view on that. They actually involve the local people right from the beginning, right from the get go, and they don't take the land or anything like that. They just help them create a tourism uh, industry within their area, within their community. Which all the all the proceeds go directly back to that community as well. Um, would would that be okay in your eyes if the government or any entity really would work with the local communities to build up a tourist industry and that might be beneficial for themselves? Would that be all right with you, or would it still be something that you think well? Mm. Well, hearing about that, that gives me hope for the future of the ecotourism industry. If all the profits are going to the local community, then yes, that would be a wonderful resolution to this aspect of the ecotourism issue. Okay. Um, But even so in Guyana, it sounds like the local people, if the local people are so thoroughly involved, it could serve as a great model to address the loopholes and monitor each step of the process. Because looking at now, from looking at how the documents are so easily manipulated in the examples that I um, mentioned from Kenya, yeah. I would think the process of obtaining local representation, making sure that they address the documentation would have to be an important stress, a step to address. And it looks like um, the government of Guyana is doing a great job of doing that. Yeah. And do you think that could be replicated in other areas? And if, if in other areas like Kenya are so far gone, so many years down the, down the drain and have never been changed, how could that be replicated in those countries, in, in, in your view? Well, I think the first thing would be for the people who are interested in going on these eco-tours to uh, say something, first of all. Because as long as these people continue to go for the current eco-tours, there's no reason for them to change how they are. Mm-hmm. Because the indigenous communities cannot say anything. And I guess... The people who are going on these eco-tours are the only real factor that comes into play because they are the ones who are investing in it, giving and driving the profit. So I guess they would be, have to begin with them. Okay. Now, there's quite a few articles um, from different areas, one from Terra Incognita, one from USA Today, which is uh, obviously from the US, um, one from The Guardian, uh, which is in, in the UK, and they all talk very much about the advantages of ecotourism, saying that it's so good for the people, uh, good for the environment. And But a lot of times that I read that, it really says it can um, be good for the people. It can give back and give, create uh, employment opportunities. And um, even the USA Today said ecotourism companies can help give back to the community by offering training in useful skills. They don't actually say they do so and pros and cons within these articles they say that 
if done right, it can channel resources to the correct places, uh, to species. They can indeed create employment opportunities for local people. Um, you can preserve uh, the local culture, um, but when it's done badly, uh, it can distort the local economy, change local customs and cultures. Now, in these times, there's more and more uh, talk about these uh, about these issues because everyone seems to want to be more sustainable and more responsible where tourism is concerned. And there's a few um, areas as well that are being taken up by NGOs and by non-profit organizations and run by volunteers. One that comes to mind is in um, Nicaragua, uh, run by volunteers based in North Carolina, so in the U.S., so it's a non-profit organization, and they say part of the income is we invested in uh, rural water pro projects, local schools. Any thoughts on that? Do you think it's make a, it makes a difference if this is run by NGOs and non-profit organizations? What, what, what are your feelings? Yeah, I actually believe that NGOs actually do make a difference because some of them are actually the ones that expose corruption. For example, the Kenya Community-Based Tourism Organization actually lobbied for the interests of poor communities who own land community and had ventured into the into Kenya's emerging ecotourism sector. Mm -hmm. But um, but some of the some of these NGOs, for example, the interests of the um, so bio biodiversity conservation NGOs, their interests are very different from the interests of indigenous communities in development, even within the broad framework of a forested landscape. So these divergences affect the scale of the ecotourism project and the degree of participation of the local community. Right. So Two sides there yeah. as well, basically, then, yeah? Yeah. So to basically to summarize, I guess, if the NGO is really um, ecotourism-based and wants to help the indigenous communities, they could do a fantastic job because it seems like they will be they're formed to help this community to with the goal of helping these indigenous communities. So it seems like they have a more um, morally, I guess, right purpose than, for example, some of these investors who are only looking for profit. Fair enough. So that was uh, fantastic. Where can people find you yeah, if you want to be found, of course? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I have an, um, I'll, I'm a briefings writer for the journal Sustainable Development. So you can read some of um, this article um, on uh, Columbia Journal of Sustainable Development and also on the state of the planet. And I have another article in works. So stay tuned. So I'll be publishing that and hopefully another week or so. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. Send me the link so I can put them uh, in there uh, as well. And um, is there anything that you would like to say at the end of the conversation? Anything that comes to mind that you missed or... No, I think we covered pretty much everything. <laughs> okay, <great. laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I think it's really good to have different uh, points of view because you don't hear this very often. And I want to thank you for that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Brilliant. All right, have a good day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. So that was the podcast with Ruba Ahmed. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes, including the link to the great article that she wrote. Um, you can find all the latest news on podcasts.earth. Um, you have been listening to Peter de Vries. Uh, thank you for doing so. And please don't forget to tune in next time for the latest in sustainability, uh, responsible travel, wellness, and a lot of other things. Thank you.